The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. So I'm going to offer some reflections, as I said, on the practice of equanimity and explore it with you. And um, perhaps together we can um, discern how we might find balance in these pretty challenging times. So I've been reading a lot about the concept of uh, collective trauma lately. Do you know about collective trauma? So that, that's the idea that entire groups of people um, are experiencing the psychological effects of witnessing traumatic events. So things like 9-11, Um, the ongoing wars around the world in Syria and elsewhere, mass shootings, the imprisonment of migrant children in detention centers. We're all experiencing this. So on on a large scale, we're experiencing what's called collective trauma. And this can have a profound effect on our sense of well-being. I've I've read so many people writing today about how they're just – feeling this sense of despair and, and uh, overwhelm on the part of so many people. And when we add that to our individual life experiences, and if we're a member of a marginalized or oppressed group, and we have intergenerational trauma as a result of that, then we're, we're carrying a pretty big psychic load. So how can the Buddhist teachings and practices of equanimity help us to find balance? So I'm going to start framing it by talking a little bit about what is meant by equanimity in Buddhism. Perhaps you already know this. And then we're going to explore how we can practice it, and we're going to practice it. So to begin with, equanimity is is a really, it occupies a very important place in Buddhism. So if you're familiar with all the lists, there's so many lists, um, equanimity is the seventh factor of awakening. It's the fourth of the Brahma Viharas or the divine abodes. And it's the tenth parami or perfection. So these lists are kind of um, conceptualizations, I guess, of different aspects of the path to freedom. And equanimity often shows up there as an important part. It's also the factor that is present in the fourth jhana. So the jhanas are these states of meditative absorption. And it was that jhana that the Buddha is said to have rested in when he needed respite from the world. So he came to this place of equanimity because the Buddha was awakened, but he also was affected by what was around him. It doesn't mean that we're not affected by it. So the English word equanimity comes from uh, is a translation of two ancient words. And the first one means literally to look over, or the ability to see without getting caught in what we see. So we have kind of a broad view, which actually is the second meaning, which is to stand in the middle of it. So it, it connotes being able to, to be centered and balanced in the midst of whatever is happening. And I, boy, are we in need of those qualities. I'll, I'm in need of those qualities uh, today. So 
it can be thought of as, uh, as a place of balance, equanimity is a place of balance, in which the mind sees clearly the truth of how things are, so it's not like we're in denial, and yet it remains non-reactive. It doesn't mean that we're not feeling strong emotion, but it does mean that we have the ability to frame our discomfort in a different way, to see it through a wider lens, if you will. So the near enemy of equanimity, so with the Brahma Viharas of their divine abodes, they have near and far enemies. It's a funny term. But the, the near enemy means it's a quality that looks like it, but it actually isn't. So the near enemy of equanimity is indifference. And equanimity is not that. It's not about not caring. So we might feel deeply saddened. We might feel deeply angry by pictures of children being taken from their parents. But if we're able to find a a degree of equanimity, we're not overwhelmed by it to the extent that we might become chronically depressed or we're unable to respond in appropriate ways. So I'm going to pause here for a minute. So in other words, uh, being equanimous doesn't mean that we have to like how things are, but rather that we have an attitude, I will do what I can do even if I don't know when or if it will help. I will do what I can do even if I don't know when or if it will help. So it's a mind that lets go of attachment to outcome while focusing on what can be done in this moment. That's challenging in my experience. So, for instance, we might be working on mitigating the effects of climate, the climate emergency, and we might be doing that by limiting our consumption, um, changing our eating patterns, engaging in political action. Political is the wrong word there. I don't want to say political. Um, engaging in direct action or weaning ourselves off fossil fuels as best we can. So you do what you can do, but you realize that what you're doing may not be successful in changing the tide, but you do it anyways. And this can also happen on a more personal level. So perhaps you're in a relationship with someone who's suffering from addiction or suffering from a mental illness or the results of unwise life choices. Letting go of attachment to outcomes means accepting the limitations of the impact of our love. It's letting go of the control you never had, in case you haven't noticed you don't have any. (laughs) Control over others' decisions and their actions. There's no limit to our ability to love, but we can't control the impact that that love will have on, the, on our lives or on others' lives. So this can be a hard lesson to learn for all of us, for me. It hurts to acknowledge the limitations of our love. 
because it hurts so much, it's important to offer ourselves compassion for the fact that it is hard so that we can have the strength to continue. Not as a way to fix it or make it go away, but just because it's so difficult. So we could start by acknowledging the pain. This is the way it is now, and this really sucks. It's really hard to bear. And then we can offer ourselves some compassion in whatever way makes sense. So it can be something as simple as placing a hand or hands over your heart or somewhere else that's soothing on the body or hugging yourself, something that you would do for a child in pain. You can do it for yourself. And then offering yourself some kind words. Words such as, may I do the best that I can do, or may I accept my limitations and find peace. So doing these things can help to calm the nervous system. Engages the parasympathetic nervous system so that we can find a place from which we can discern how to respond. It's very difficult to be able to do that when you're so agitated and uh, unbalanced. So I'd like to take a moment and invite you to reflect on your own experiences with the limitations of your love. It could be love for another person, another being, or an animal being, a human being, or it could be um, a love for something like the planet. So I'd like you to just take a moment to notice in your heart, mind, when you reflect on the fact that despite your best intentions and a caring heart, you have no control over others, over how others choose to live their own lives. You have no control over how things will work out. And you might recall times in your own life when you needed to let go, when you struggled to accept things as they were. And as you do so, seeing if you can keep your attention at least partially in the body. Noticing if there's contraction or tension or stress. And if there is, holding that with a tender awareness. And once again, if you feel moved, you could place a hand or hands over your heart, these exquisitely sensitive hearts. Offering yourself compassion right now for the pain of caring so much. for the pain of having a human heart. So accepting the limitations of my love was a hard lesson for me to learn. I'm still learning it. After struggling for many years trying to manage or somehow fix my ex-husband's mental illness, I realized that it was outside of my control and that things would unfold the way they unfolded no matter how much I loved him. 
it was only then that I could really gain the balance of mind to discern what I needed to do, which was to move on. And it took me many more years to acknowledge fully the pain of that, the pain we both experienced, and years more to let go of the self-criticism and to offer myself compassion for the the pain of the situation was enormously painful. So when we can rest in in this place of equanimity, this place of balance, and I'm not saying that's something we can do overnight, without resistance or struggle to how things are, a deeper wisdom can arise. Things are as they are. They arise as a result of causes and conditions, only some of which we can know, and very few of which we have any control over. And we don't have to take it personally. We don't have to take it personally. We don't have to blame ourselves for not doing enough or the right thing, nor do we have to blame others. So this is especially important, I think, in the realm of collective trauma. Some of us, including me, may fall into the trap of believing that we have a bigger role to play in solving the crises of the world than we actually do. That's not to say that we don't have a responsibility to do our share. We do. But the pain we experience is a result of the limitations of our love as a shared pain. We can name it and we can feel it and we can offer each other support in community. The beloved community, as Martin Luther King called it. So I want to read a poem. I've read it recently in other contexts, but I want to read it again. It's called Hopi Elders Speak. Maybe you know this poem because I think it really captures the essence of this beloved community. You have been telling the people that this is the 11th hour. Now now you must go back and tell the people that this is the hour. There are things to be considered. Where are you living? What are you doing? What are your relationships? Are you in right relation? Where is your water? Know your garden. It is time to speak your truth. Create your community. Be good to each other. And do not look outside yourself for the leader. This could be a good time. There is a river flowing now very fast. It is so great and swift that there are those who will be afraid. They will try to hold on to the shore. They will feel they are being torn apart and they will suffer greatly. Know the river has its destination. The elders say we must let go of the shore, push off into the middle of the river, keep our eyes open and our heads above the water. See who is in there with you and celebrate. At this time in history, we are to take nothing personally least of all ourselves. For the moment that we do, our spiritual growth and journey comes to a halt. The time of the lone wolf is over. 
gather yourselves. Banish the word struggle from your attitude and vocabulary. All that we do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. We are the ones we've been waiting for. So self-compassion and shared compassion and community are very important. Greg Scharf, who is one of my favorite meditation teachers, maybe you know him, um, he teaches around and he used to be head of the Raptor Center in San Francisco. He has a deep love for the earth. He suggests that there are several additional ways that we can cultivate a balanced mind, which I'd like to share with you now. So Greg teaches that the essence of the Buddhist practice is about finding balance. Balance between effort and relaxation. Balance between a realistic assessment of the situation we face and seeing ourselves as a problem that has to be fixed. Balance between opening to the suffering in the world and not following in, falling into despair at the magnitude of it. And this, this is the middle way, right? This is what the Buddha taught. So one of the ways we can bring balance into how we see ourselves is to intentionally reflect on and appreciate our good qualities, our wholesome actions. We tend to diminish our own goodness for a whole range of reasons, including the ways that we might have been brought up and our tendency as adults to compare ourselves to one another, comparing mind. And when we do that, we usually come up short. So consciously reflecting on what's right with us brings more balance to the mind and is in itself a radical act of self-compassion. So I'm going to ask you to take a moment to reflect again and just take a moment to reflect on your good qualities. I know this can be a stretch for some of us, but we all have them. So what comes to mind when you think of your good qualities? These don't have to be big deals. They can be things like the time you took the moment to make eye contact with a homeless person. Or maybe you thank the mail carrier for their work. Call to mind your good qualities, ways in which you've acted in what are called wholesome ways, ways of kindness and love. Did everyone find at least one? So another of Greg's suggestions for cultivating balance in the mind is to give attention to how we're living, our ethical conduct. If we live with the intention of not adding to the suffering of the world through our actions, then an inner sense of equanimity can develop. A mind that is filled with the regret and remorse can't settle. A mind that is focused on non-harming is a peaceful one. So in a a teaching that 
the Buddha gave to some of his followers, he talked about the four kinds of bliss that are available to non-monastics. And I think it's a fascinating list. So these four are the bliss of having wealth, the bliss of enjoying wealth, the bliss of debtlessness, and the bliss of blamelessness. And he ends his teaching by saying, knowing the bliss of debtlessness and recollecting the bliss of having wealth, enjoying the bliss of wealth, the mortal then sees clearly with discernment. Seeing clearly, the wise one, that's all of you, knows both sides, that these are not worth one-sixteenth Sixteenth, I don't know what that actually is, of the bliss of blamelessness. So of all of those, the bliss of blamelessness is paramount. And the last support for developing equanimity is a form of meditation, which you might already be familiar with, in which we bring our minds back again and again to phrases that capture the essence of a balanced mind. And there's... in the traditional way that's taught it, which is the the way that was described in these commentaries that I mentioned earlier, we start by bringing to mind and then reciting phrases for a neutral person, so that's somebody that we don't have much of a relationship with, a friend, a difficult person, ourselves, and finally all beings. So the classical phrase that you may be familiar with is, You are the owner of your karma or your actions. For your happiness and unhappiness depends on your actions, not on my wishes for you. It's a good thing to remember if you have teenage children. So more modern versions might include, no matter how much I might wish things to be otherwise, they are as they are. Or I will care for you but cannot keep you from suffering. May I accept things just as they are. So if these don't appeal to you, you can find the phrases or phrases that work for you. There's no magic to this. So I'd like to end um, this morning with, with an equanimity meditation, if you'd like to participate in that. I'd invite you to settle into a comfortable posture once again. Inviting the body to relax with each in-breath and to let go with each out-breath. Seeing if you can find some quality of compassion for yourself here and now. Some basic goodwill towards yourself. The wish that you not suffer combined with some tender goodwill. And if you choose, you could place a hand or hands over your heart or elsewhere. 
offering yourself soothing touch. Feeling the weight of your hands on your body and the warmth in your hands. Just as a mother holds her child with compassion, holding yourself with compassion. And if you choose finding words for this compassion, it might be words like, may I not suffer. Or something more specific, such as, may I not worry so much about my friend or family member right now. Letting whatever words are most appropriate for you Letting those words come to mind. And feeling the sense of being on your own side, not against others, but for yourself. Including yourself as one of the many beings you are kind to. You too deserve kindness. And now forming an intention for a growing sense of equanimity, a growing balance, openness, and engagement with the world without suffering. The intention could be expressed in words such as, may I be equanimous. Relaxing into that aspiration, that intention for equanimity. May I be equanimous. And as you connect with that aspiration, that intention, relaxing your body further as best you can, really, really relaxing. And now, as you can, bringing to mind some sense of connection to others, including the sense of being with someone or a group of people whom you know, whom you care about. The felt sense of that. Accessing feelings of belonging, of connection, being cared about as best you can. Allowing yourself to sink into those positive feelings. And becoming aware of one or more things that brings a basic sense of gladness, of well-being to you. Perhaps calling to mind one of your good qualities that we just reflected on, your strengths. And seeing if you can bring to mind without strain or struggle 
just a sense of that personal strength of those good qualities, feeling into it. And with that sense of strength of goodness, exploring a sense of feeling safe, perhaps not complete safety, but some safety, a safety that you reasonably deserve to feel. And being aware of being in a protected setting here this morning among good people. Aware of being with resources in yourself and in your world to help you deal with what life may bring. Perhaps being able to feel less guarded or less vigilant, less braced against life. Perhaps being aware even of a sense of panoramic awareness, drawing on the support of others, of your own internal goodness, seeing experiences as though through a bird's eye. And sinking more and more deeply into a sense of equanimity, whatever is there for you now. Aware of the sensations of breathing in the belly or the chest or above the lips or the body as a whole. Aware of embodied breathing. And connected to the collective breath of this room into the whole atmosphere of the planet. And from this place of connection, from this place of peacefulness and balance, calling to mind another being or situation for which you would like to develop equanimity. Calling to mind that being or situation as an image or perhaps just a felt sense. And putting that wish for equanimity into words. Perhaps may I accept things as they are. Or no matter how much I might wish things to be otherwise, things are as they are. So letting the poignancy and the truth of those phrases sink into your heart. And perhaps even again placing a hand or hands over your heart as a gesture of compassion. 
compassion for the truth of how things are. May I accept things as they are. And letting the words sink into your mind and your heart. And now dropping the phrases and the practice. And once again, just resting in the felt sense of the body and the breath. allowing the waves of the breath to soothe you, allowing the body to relax. Whatever I may have offered that's helpful, please keep it and discard the rest. So I see that we're almost out of time, unfortunately. So maybe we'll have time for just a couple of comments, questions, suggestions, things from your, from your own experience. And we'll use the microphone so everyone can hear you. This one in the back. Um, so first, I'm acknowledging that I'm an older white male and I'm speaking first, so I kind of apologize for that. But it was really an astounding talk, and it brought me to a place I hadn't been yet, so I wanted to share that. Um, as you were talking, um, so I remember this time, I was a very difficult child. I smashed my furniture while my mother was taking me to a mental institution, which what they called it in those days. She said something that I was remembering right now, which was, John, I love you, but I don't like you very much right now. <laughs> and I'd always focused on, I don't like you. <laughs> and today I was able to focus on I love you. And what I realized was that my voice and her voice became one. Mm -hmm. And that the more I loved myself, the less I needed the world to be a certain way. And the more safe I felt, no matter what the world was doing. And the less needy I felt for others to love me. Oh, I see a little face at the door. Oh, yeah. So I think we're going to end here. If you want to continue the conversation afterwards, if you want to hang around, I'd be happy to do that, or amongst yourselves. I apologize I didn't manage the time better to hear from you. So thank you for your attention.
This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.